0: Racism is tearing our country apart, and the church is sitting by watching. Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the week. Blacks go to church together, whites go to church together, cubanos go to church together, Puerto De Kenyans go to church together. And we don't mix. Why? Because that's what they do. And the and the world's looking at us going, Now that's supposed to be the people of God? And we have all our reasons why not to do it. And I'm, I, that's only Sunday. But what you do on Sunday impacts what you do the rest of the week. So I want to talk to you about how we got divided. I wrote a book called The Third Option. I'm going to talk this one, we we'll talk about how we got divided, but more importantly, how we can come together. These principles are going to be stuff on the screen. Please take pictures of the of the slides on the screen. These principles will help you be more fearless when it comes to having these conversations. Because if we are not willing to have the conversation, and I'm talking about not only have a conversation where someone talks and you listen, where you get in a conversation and you actually change the way you see people, treat people, talk about people, the way you see the news. Because the news is training you how to see people. <laughs> Media, the politi- politicians are telling you how to think about other people. And when we need to get out cues from God, not from man. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. So there is a us versus them culture. Everyone say us. us. Say them. Say us, us. Say them. Yes. We live in an us versus them culture. And the devil, by the way, the devil's the enemy, not man. Yes. <laughs> man is not the enemy. We have an us versus them culture. It's whether you are uh, Republican or Democrat, whether you're black or white, four against the police, you're CNN or Fox, you're on one side or the other, and the devil says you have to pick one of the two. And once you pick one, you are the enemy of the two, of the other one. And that's the culture. And so as we as the church, we buy into that and we go, well, which one am I going to pick? The Bible, the problem is there's a third option. The third option is that we honor what we have in common because we are more, we have more in common than the differences we have. Every single, I mean, we can talk about we all bleed red. We all want to sleep at night. We all want to eat our food. We all want to have a family. We all want to know purpose. And by the way, we're all made in this image of the same God. The image of God in me is, no, is not inferior or superior to the image of God in you. And so I want to talk about not only how we got divided, because it's very important to understand how we got divided, but I'm gonna talk about six ways we can actually be united. Yeah. We have things to do, and if you learn these things, and practice these things. You can become more fearless when the topic comes up because you don't have to buy into what the world, what the world's selling you. Can I get amen? Yeah. Turn to Joshua chapter five. Joshua chapter five. And <clears throat> a little background on, on me. Y'all think, well, what is he black? Is he Puerto Rican? What's he? <laughs> Where are, my, where are my Puerto Ricans in here. Any Puerto Ricans in here? <laughs> hey, what's up? I ain't Puerto Rican, okay? <laughs> but I tell you something. I tell you something. I love me some Puerto Ricans. Let me tell you something. When I was a kid, true story, true story. I have all my grandparents are from Jamaica or Indies. I have two. Okay, got some Jamaicans, got curry. In. My, I have two black grandfathers, one white grandmother, and one half Chinese black grandmother. My half Chinese black grandmother, so a man from China, Mr. Wong, came from China and got jungle fever and started messing around with <laughs> three women. Had babies with three women in, in Jamaica. So, so my my white grandmother, my white grandmother was sent to Jamaica Queens from Jamaica West Indies, so she wouldn't marry a black Jamaican. Jamaica Queens. <laughs> <laughs> send it to, to Montana, don't send her to Jamaica Queens. She meets my grandfather. My grandfather can't go in the front door of a house because he's black. He gotta go around the back door of the house. They get married. When they married, her family cut her off. We never met them. They live 15 minutes away from I live in Nassau County, they live in Queens. We never met them. Never knew they existed. All we knew, we had all these light-skinned brown people and white grandma Dorothy. We didn't know where she came from. <laughs> we family, right? We family, right? My father, my father, all grown up, my father told me I was adopted from Puerto Rico. It's a true story. <laughs> Not lying. No lie. So I'm like, okay. I'm, uh, <laughs> so I got to learn how to speak Spanish. So all my life, I actually preached a sermon in Spanish. I, my church in San Diego is mostly Mexicans because it's a West coast thing. Even though we have 15 countries, 15 Latin countries. Um, but I'm learning Spanish and I did a sermon in Spanish. So I, went to, I lived in a black neighborhood and went to school in a white neighborhood. I got harassed in a white neighborhood because I wasn't white. I got harassed in a black neighborhood because I wasn't black enough. White people, there was a thing called not being black enough. And so I was dealing with that in my neighborhood and in both neighborhoods. But when I played football, our huddle was diverse. When I went to my house, I had the United Nations. So I was confused, not confused, frustrated. And then when Martin Luther King died, I was eight years old, I remember feeling it was unfair. And I remember thinking, what do we do? I want to talk about what we can do. Joshua chapter, Joshua chapter 5, Joshua chapter 5 is an us first them culture. Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is leading the Israelites into the promised land. And the, he is going to ask the commander of the army, of the Lord's army, an us first them question. He says, It came to pass. When Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, "Are you for us or adversaries?" Everyone say us. Us. Say us. Us. Say them. Whatever you decide that this is us, and you refer to anybody as them or those people, you just identified your enemy. There's people in your church who don't believe what you believe politically. That makes them your enemy. Oh, that's a really a kind of a question statement. There's people in your church who come from different uh, ethnic backgrounds. Is that an us first them question? If it's us and them, you made them your enemy. So Joshua says to the commander of the Lord's army, look, are you on our side? And if you're not on our side, you're automatically our enemy. So whose side are you on? And the commander of the Lord's army gives him the third option answer. Look what he says. No. <laughs> are you for us or them? He says no. <laughs> That's not an answer. He's like, well, he hey, I mean, commander. You might not understand the question. Are you for us or them? Are you for us or our adversaries? He says, No. <laughs> you want a hamburger or a hot dog? No. <laughs> he says, But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face and worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? He says, take off your shoes for you where you stand is holy ground. And he worshiped him. Here's what he said. He said, Joshua, this, this promised land thing, it ain't your idea. I didn't come here to support you. This is going to shock you. Guess what? God didn't come here to support you. God's not around to, to, to serve you. We're here to serve him. So he said to Joshua, Joshua, this whole promised land thing is my idea. And if you don't obey me, I'll smoke you. (laughs) I will beat you down. I will send you into slavery. So you need to obey me. And so this whole us versus them, you can argue all you want. Listen, I know a lot of y'all are uh, Democrat, Republican, whatever it is. That's garbage. That's the world system. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't get involved. But don't let that be your idol. That is never going to save anybody. It is a, it, and you watch Fox, you watch CNN. Let me tell you something. As, as Robbie said last night, which I thought was ingenious, it's not news, it's views. They're giving you, a, they're giving you their spin and they're trying to get you to, to create an us-first-them culture. And you get so caught up in fighting that battle, trying to win those arguments and miss the whole point of the gospel. Third option. Third option is that we honor what we have in common. So how do we get divided? Sociologists call... How we place ourselves in groups, they call it grouping. Everyone say grouping. Every single one of us are in multiple groups. All the ladies in the house, say hey. Hey. That's a group. I'm not in that group. I love that group but I'm not in that group. If you're a mother, say hey. Hey. That's a tired group. (laughs) Can I get amen, ladies? Amen. So, so, so you got, you got, you got women. You got moms. You got single moms. You got divorced. You got employed. You got managers. You got unemployed. All, all of men and women are all in groups. We're all in multiple groups. Whatever group you're in, that's your in group. Everyone say in group. In group. Whoever's not in one of those groups, that's an out group. So I'm an out group to, a, to the women's group. I'm not because I'm not a woman. Can I get amen? amen? No, I'm not a woman. Say amen. amen. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's not a question. It's a statement. And so. So every one of us are in groups. There's a thing called the homogeneity effect where when you look at groups that you're not in, you tend to generalize about them because you don't know them. (laughs) Trust me, if it's not your in-group, you don't know them. That's by definition what it means. That's not your group. I was on a vacation once and and there was a guy uh, in the gym and I walked in the gym and he had shorts on and I looked at him and I said, that dude is an athlete, but he's not a football player. Now, three things here. One, you can tell if you're an athlete, people who are in the gym who just work out or who are athletes. Because athletes have different bodies than people who just work out. It's, just, it's not a question. It's just, <laughs> it's just a fact. Okay. So I walked in, I said, okay, that dude, that dude, he's he's he he does something. And then I said he doesn't play football because he didn't have football legs. What does that mean? Okay? Because the front of the front of his legs were overdeveloped. And I, I never seen those legs in a locker room, and I've been in locker rooms for 15 years. I've never seen those legs. So I was like, what does he do? So I went up to him and said, yo, man, I know you do something. What do you do? He says, I play hockey for the NHL. Why would the front of his legs overdevelop? Because he skates and he doesn't run. So now, we were in the in-group of athletes. I was the out-group of hockey. Are oh, you follow what I'm saying? I don't know anything about I know three things about hockey. That they play on ice. They got like five black dudes that play. That's what I know. And the puck that they hit is black. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's all I know. That's all I know. That's all I know. So we spent our whole vacation together almost every day educating each other about our in-group. But by definition, because he was on my sport out-group, I don't know what he is. When you meet people who are your ethnic out-group, you have to know you don't know about them. You don't know their experience. You don't know what they're like. Whenever you find yourself saying those people, shut your mouth. Whenever you start apply, imp, applying stuff that you heard on the news, the new listen even if the news told you the truth, if they can only tell you two or three four things, but that two or three four things don't apply to everybody. So by definition, if someone is in your alcove, you know there's 150 kind of Muslims. Do you know that people who speak Spanish? We had, when I when I did my sermon in Spanish, we had a pre-sermon Spanish sermon just for the for the Spanish speakers. And there were fifteen countries there. Fifteen kinds of Spanish. And 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 if you Puerto Rican Spanish, y'all are like whatever, <laughs> but Mexican Spanish comes <laughs> down. Hey, I can save I, I can, say it. and it's like Mexican Spanish, is like they're, it's like they're singing. It's like da 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 da, and and Cubanos and Puerto Ricans are fighting, and 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 they're just asking you for dinner, and they just trying to beat you up. Can I get an amen? My Puerto Ricans, Amen. Amen. And, and it's just passion, right, it's just passion. But sometimes I, I, when I spoke, I spoke like two months ago, I did this message in Spanish at a Spanish conference. And it was in San Diego. And right before I got up, this Puerto Rican guy got up and he did an announcement for 10 minutes. And my brain was trying to keep up with him. I was like, I need to get out of here. And, and, and the Mexican guy next to me said, I, I'm not, I, don't, I can't understand him either. Now, the only reason I tell you that story is that when you assume that all Spanish speakers are the same. No. Now, once you define your in group, you apply in group bias. I'm gonna put something on the screen. Please take a picture of this. In group bias is your tendency to give preferential treatment to people who are in your in group. I am more comfortable with those who are like me, I am more inclined to spend time socially with those who are like me. Yeah, keep it up. I'm going to read the whole thing. Don't worry. (laughs) I am more patient with those who are like me. I get the benefit of the doubt quicker than those who are like me. I express more grace when mistakes are made by those who are like me. It's easier to communicate with those who are like me. I assume that I will get along easier with those who are like me. I am more willing to go out of my way to help those who are like me. I possess more positive assumptions about those who are like me. Can I get an amen? You walk in a room and you identify someone as your in group, that's in general, you are going to do that over the people who are not in your in group. Does it make you a racist? No, not necessarily. I say not necessarily. (laughs) The opposite is out group discrimination. Let's read that. It's just the opposite. I am less comfortable with those who are not like me. I am less inclined to spend time socially with those who are not like me. Basically, I avoid you. I'm less patient with those who are not like me. I give the benefit of the doubt less to those who are not like me. I express grace less when mistakes are made by those who are not like me. It's more difficult to communicate with those who are not like me, so I don't communicate. I don't assume I will get along, so I have negative assumptions about getting along with you. I am less willing to go out of my way to help you, and I possess less positive assumptions about those who are not like me. Now, you don't have to be racist, but let me tell you something, that's what it feels like. You walk into a room and you see people. Let me tell you, I give you a perfect example. I walk into a room and there's baseball players over here and football players over here. I'm giving these guys in-group bias. Now, because I love people, I'm probably, you know, I'm going to talk to everybody and be friendly and all kind of stuff. But you're just naturally attracted to people who like you. The problem is if you do that, in certain situations, you could be blowing people off. Someone comes up to the desk. I, I, was, I, was, I was with a pastor, on uh, my staff, and I said, we were talking about racism. This is like 30 years ago. And he, he didn't see it. He's a white guy. He didn't see it. And I said, okay, watch this. And we went up to the desk at the airport. We were going someplace together. And I stood here and he stood there. Lady was behind the desk. She talked to him. She never looked at me. I said, did you notice that? He said, yeah, that's that. In-group bias, out-group discrimination. It's very subtle. Now, why is that important? You need to think about it with you. You know the Bible says love your enemy and love your friends? How about this? Love those in your in-group and those in your out-group the same. Because that's something you can control. So how can we change this? Six ways. I'm going to give you six things. Very good. Number one, acknowledge that you have blind spots. What does that mean? Acknowledge that there's things you don't know you don't know. You have to admit that there's things you don't know that you don't know. Did you know that you could be racially offensive and not be a racist? Let me say it this way you don't have to be a racist to be racially offensive. Let me say it another way you could not be a racist and still be racially offensive. And the reason this is important is because I've had thousands and thousands and thousands, literally, discussions and arguments with people. And what the, it hit me, when in the middle of reading this book, after all these years, I'm 59 years old and I've been having discussions since I was a kid. It hit me when I was writing this book that people, if they can't separate being racially offensive and being a racist. In other words, if they think, if I'm racially offensive, doesn't that mean I'm a racist? If they can't separate those two things, they will not accept that they, what they say is racially offensive. Because for them to admit they offended you, they're admitting they're racist. Are you all following what I'm saying? Now, some people absolutely are racist, but let's put that aside. If you say, I don't want to be a racist, so I don't want to... Then accept that you can be racially offensive and not be a racist. Give yourself room to be wrong. And then say, I want to learn. It's not, it's not that complicated. Trust me, um, and we'll we'll get to this in a minute. People are very forgiving if you would just be humble about it. (laughs) Um, There's a thing called social narrative. Social narrative is a story that shapes how you see the world. It's the information you got when you were a little kid from your parents, your family, your neighborhood, your school. And all that information developed a prescription through which you see everything. It taught you who's safe, who's not safe. It taught you how to interpret the news. It taught you which news station to watch and believe. It taught you what political stripe you should have. It taught you who is smart and who's dumb. All that information as a kid went in your head and said, This is the perspective of your life. And most likely, the people you are around, what they call social reinforcement, they believe the same thing you believe. And so all of y'all walk around thinking, We are right. Because that's the only perspective you had. Guess what? You are one in seven billion social narratives. I have two brothers and two sisters, my two brothers, we slept in the same room growing up and my brother and I slept in the same bed the night of the first Exorcist movie. You all remember Linda Blair's head went 360. That, that was a scary movie. I don't watch scary movies anymore. Period. I don't go to none of that stuff. It's satanic. Straight up. I didn't know that then. So I was just, you know, and then we were back to back in the bed. I said, Mark, you watch that side of the room. <laughs> and, I, and in the middle of the night I was like Mark and I went ah. my brother has a, has a social narrative I have a social narrative they're similar but not exactly the same you have blind spots there's things you absolutely do not know and there are views and opinions you have that are absolutely wrong there's a, there's a um, uh, life coach in San Diego. He wrote an article called "The right of Privilege." How many of y'all are right-handed? Just raise your hand up if you're right-handed. Keep your hand up really high. And by the way, in our church, we—and I know I'm not in my church—but Tim, sorry, <laughs> we put our elbow above our ear, so none of this like T-Rex thing, right? So put it up... <laughs> Keep your hand up. Okay, look around the room. Look around the room. All y'all right-handed. Now keep, just keep your hand up for a minute. This is why you need it. To... By the way, this is why you need to work out. Because we're trying to worship God and y'all like after 10 seconds, oh my arms are tired. The world was made by you and for you. Same man if you don't know talk about. Put your hands down. Why? We shake hands right handed. I'm left handed. If you're left-handed, raise your hand. The special people. Come on now. Come on now. Keep your hand up. These are all the most intelligent, good looking people in the room. Left-handed. In school, the desk was made for right-handed people. You can elbow, braced, right and talk to the girl next to you at the same time. You know, what's up? Right? I'm left-handed. So I'm out here. Hold up, girl. Hold up. I got a... disadvantage. If you, if you want to get golf clubs and you're right-handed, you can go to any golf shop and get your club right now. I got to order on Amazon. And when I was a kid, there was no Amazon, just the Amazon River down in in South America. If you want to get a a catcher's mitt, you can go to any sporting goods store and get a catcher's mitt. I'm going to drive to ten stores. Maybe I will find one. And while you're home playing with your kid, I'm driving around looking for a catcher's mitt. And then you say to me, what's taking you so long? I got mine. Because you never had to be left-handed. You don't know the disadvantage of being left-handed. It doesn't mean that you are prejudiced against left-handed people. No, not necessarily, but it doesn't take away the disadvantage. It's called right privilege. Some of y'all are thinking, should I be mad right now? No, no. You have an advantage that you grew up with. and never knew it was an advantage because you never had to be disadvantaged. <laughs> and when t- someone tells you had the advantage, you say that you don't have it because you're so used to it. And then when so- then when someone wants to make you share it, you say no. You know the Bible says if you have if, if if you have the ability to bless your brother and sister, you should bless them. It's called right privilege. You have a blind spot. You don't understand and don't know what you don't. No. It was a lady who was, who was, we were talking about this, and she told me to just get over it. I said, You know what you need to do? You need to go someplace, a white lady, you need to go someplace where you're the only white person. Not Africa. By the way, stop going to Africa on your missionary trips. Go to down the street. For real. For real. I'm not saying don't go to Africa, but I'm saying you don't need to spend $2,000 if you want to minister to people who are poor enough color. Just go down the street. There's a, there's a principle in, 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 uh, in the 50s, they call it redlining. Banks would take a pen, a red pen and draw around a neighborhood and say we're not going to lend into that neighborhood. It's a minority neighborhood. It's a real thing called redlining. You can look it up. And they would take a red pen and say this is the neighborhood. It's a minority neighborhood. And we're either not going to lend or we're going to hike the rates up because of the people of color. It's a fact. You can look it up. Please look it up. But churches redline. Churches say, well, we're this kind of church. so..." They may not actually do the red line, but we don't go to that neighborhood. And I'm talking white churches, black churches, Puerto Rican churches, Hispanic churches, Asian churches. In other words, if you're a black church, do you minister to Mexican, uh, Hispanic neighborhood? If you're an Asian church, do you minister to the Puerto Ricans? We stick to our own. What's up? What's up with that? I'm so, I'm so glad Jesus didn't just stick to the Jews. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so praising God. Number two, number two... Um, Rename those people brother, sister, or neighbor. The greatest commandment is love God with your heart, mind, and soul, and love your what as yourself. I mean, this is like the greatest commandment. You should know this one, okay. (laughs) Let's try it one more time. Love God with your heart, mind, and soul, and love your what as yourself. Okay, let's say one more, some, some more convictions. This is the number one thing that summarizes the whole Bible. We should know this one. Everyone say the word neighbor when I give you a prompt, okay. You shall love God with your heart, mind, and soul, and love your what as yourself. Very good. Am I talking too fast for you? I'm in in the East Coast. Y'all should be used to this. (laughs) The Bible says before you do anything, if you learn one thing, if you learn one thing, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And those two things are just about the same. Are y'all following what I'm saying? So why do we have so much discrimination? Here's why. I'm talking about the church. Here's why. I'm talking about people who go to church. I'm talking about y'all who go to church and you go home and talk trash about other people in your in your house when no one's around. I'm talking about y'all who go to church and go home watch the news and just saying nah, 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 about those people, whoever those people are. You know exactly who you are. If you're racist, then you know it. Say amen. <laughs> <laughs> I almost got you. I almost got you. Here's how we justify it. The Bible says, "Love your neighbor as yourself," right? So, how do I how do I create a loophole? Here's a loophole. I just relabel you something less than neighbor. Give you an example. If you're a Democrat, you are free to hate Republicans. If you're a Republican, you are free to hate Democrats. I'm not saying that's true. That's how you think. Because well, they're a Democrat. Well, they're a liberal. Or whatever. If you are against the police, you say, well, they're a cop. My son's a cop. My dad was a cop 30 years in, in New York City. I love cops. But they're people. Remember, you can love cops and at the same time have issue with what some cops do. Why? Because they're people. You don't want to have this us versus them, it's either all or nothing. Because if you have an us versus them mentality, once you agree with them, you are a sellout. That's the problem with the system. The third option is I'm going to honor what we all have in common. And guess what? We all have a whole lot more in common. So we're all an in-group. But the pro- so so once, you <clears throat> once you label someone less than neighbor, you give yourself freedom to mistreat them or allow them to be mistreated because they're not on your level. Now, when I was a kid, I watched uh, Cowboys and Indians, loved Cowboys and Indians, and I loved the Indians. Why? Well, well they were brown. <laughs> the girls had long black hair. They rode on horses with no, ho- with no saddles. They, could, they were just, the Indians were bombed, but they were savages. They weren't people. They were savages. That's what the television taught you. Label everybody you know neighbor. Next time you see someone that has nothing in common with you, so you think that's your neighbor. That's what Jesus said. Good Samaritan. It's Jesus said, who's your neighbor? And once you put them in the neighbor, now you can reinsert them back into that verse and now you can love them. By the way, when you label someone, whatever you label someone, you can't see anybody anything outside of that label. In other words, if you call someone stupid, you apply everything about stupid to that person and you can never see anything intelligent about them. If you call them ugly, you apply apply everything about ugly to them and you can't see anything pretty about them. You limit what you can see. But if you call them neighbor, son, daughter, forgiven, heir to the throne, then you can see all this glorious thing about them. So you have to decide that you label them neighbor. So when you see someone that you may be scared of, where does that fear come from? Ain't God he don't give you the spirit of fear. This devil lying to you. Why? Lying to you because you heard something on the news or from your uncle because he had one encounter. Maybe he was a knucklehead in the incident and he told you it was spun around, and you apply that to every person who was like that person. And that's your outgroup, so you don't even know anything about them. Step back and say, That's my neighbor. Are oh, y'all following what I'm saying? Number number three, uh, give in-group love to your outgroup. This is real simple. Jeremy, if you have that picture of Oscar and Angie, you can put that on the screen. When people saw this picture, for the most part, these were the people who were trying to cross the river and get into America, right, and San Diego. Most people saw that and their hearts were broken. Some were saying, well, they're immigrants. Right? Label. Ethnically, not, they may not be your in-group. They, you may have a whole lot of labels that distinguish them as your outgroup. But what if you just looked at it as a father and a daughter? All of a sudden that's your ingroup. A parent and a child. A human being made in the image of God. It's up to you to decide what you label people. And what, if you label them biblically, by the way, then you will treat them biblically. But if you lay unbiblically, if you dehumanize them and take someone that God made in, the, in his own image and there is not one human on this planet that has not made the image of God, if you dehumanize them, you insult God. Because God said, I made that person in my image. Who are you to dehumanize them? Number three. Uh, number four, acknowledge your brother's sister's color. I remember the first time someone said to me they didn't see my color. I thought they had an eye stigmatism. I said, man, that's jacked up. You don't see red, green, blue, yellow. They said, no, no, we we see all those colors, we just don't see your color. I said, well, if you don't see my color, how do you know I have a color that you don't see? <laughs> I want you to think, I know it's politically correct. For all of you who say you don't see color, do you say that to people who are like you? You only say it to people who have a different color. Here's what people of color hear. Several things. I'm invisible to you. The burden that comes with this color, you just ignored and disqualified. I hear you don't want to deal with it. I hear that you want to put me in your category that I have the same experience that you do when I don't. I hear that you're right-handed, I'm left-handed, but you want to make me right-handed. Even though I've been living with the disadvantages of being left handed, that's all messed up. No, you should see You know that your eye, the only visible part of your brain outside your body is your eye? Your eye is a direct extension of your brain. I'm telling you fact, not asking you a question. Your eye is a direct extension of your brain. Your eye, if someone squeezed your brain and it popped out of your head, it'd be your eyes. Your eye accounts for 90% of your brain activity, your eye. Your eye can process 10 billion million million bits of information per second and it processes shape, movement, texture, depth, and color without you asking it to. You can't not see color. Even if you close your eyes, you will see black. <laughs> we ain't going nowhere. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Please don't be offended by the jokes. I just like to have fun, and but uh, you know it's all good and fun. Just deal with it, okay? Uh, <laughs> see, people, this this girl, this lady, a friend of mine, she was a white lady. She went to Hawaii. She got a tan. She laid out for seven days, got all greased up, laid out for seven hours a day, to try to get brown. Which, by the way, to us is kind of funny. <laughs> just billions of dollars spent to be brown, but yet. <laughs> We get kicked down. (laughs) It's like, like, I don't get it. So this lady, she got all brown. She got all spanned up, spatted up, you know. And she comes to work with a little spaghetti strap. And she was trying to get this guy to call her. So she's at work every day with a little spaghetti strap with her little brown thing. And she was like, boop, boop, throwing a brown, boop, boop. (laughs) Getting no action. He wasn't calling her, no bites. She was just baiting him, right? And she she came to me, he won't call me, he won't call me. It's amazing how you get a tan in Hawaii and you celebrate it. But when you get a tan in the womb, it's invalidated. Oh. Listen, listen. God made color. I was watching Sanford's son. He's a great theologian. Fred G. Sanford, the philosopher. He's a great philosopher. He got robbed, and the cops came, and they and they were talking to him, and they said, Francis Sanford was the perpetrator, colored." He said, "Yeah, he was colored, white." <laughs> Watch this. The world says white people and people of color. White's a color. White's a color with its own burden. White's a color with its own identity, its own experience. It's all a color. It's 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 a it's a spectrum. And by the way, white people, let's think about it. In the spring, you're white. In the summer, you're brown. When you get mad, you turn red. <laughs> and when you get cold, you turn blue. So I'm, I think y'all are more colored than anybody. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I, The devil, the devil's put all these little things that we just traps that we fall into. Why can't we just appreciate the rainbow? Yes. Can I get an amen? Yes. Number five, view every conversation as a race consultation. Every time, you have a, every, every time you have a conversation with somebody, you have a race conversation. Why? Because you know what you're looking at. If you're black and you're talking to someone who's black, you know they're black. If you're white and you're talking to someone white, you know they're white. You know exactly what they are. So you're having a race conversation. What does that mean? That the person in front of you is either affirming what you think about people like that, or they are expanding what you think about people like that. When I come up here, y'all are like, oh, is he black? Is he white? Is he Puerto Rican? Is he from the Middle East? Is he, who is he? And, and when I told you my ethnicity, my you're like, oh, I didn't know that black people look like that. So your idea got expanded. By the way, all the y'all are mixed anyway, ain't none of y'all pure pre all nothing. Do your 23 and me. you will going to find out it's 23 and we, okay. <laughs> when you talk to somebody, let them self-disclose to you who they are. What they are. Because remember, that's your outgroup. You don't know. I was at this golf club and... Uh, uh, This kid picked me up. He was like 25-year-old white kid. And he picked me up in the golf cart. He had a golf shirt on. He worked there. And in my mind, I had an image of who he was. Not a whole lot. Just white kid, cool kid. He was nice. I said, yo, man, what's your name? He said, my name is DeAndre. I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. By the way, huddle, huddle, huddle is Hebrew for wait. said, huddle, what? Your, your name is what? He said, my name is DeAndre. And he's from Iowa. Now, the reason you're laughing is because, rightfully so, those two things don't go together. I said, how did you get that name? He said, my mom and dad. I said, no, your mom. She, like, hey. she met a guy named DeAndre. When he told me his name, it threw me back from what I assumed because when I heard that name, I applied everything I know about DeAndre to him. And I said, oh, this kid is cool. <laughs> And he was. He was cool. And I was was trying to reconcile DeAndre. And so I had to let him talk to me so I can get to know him and re-educate and correct all my assumptions. By the way, by the way, by the way, by the way. When you meet somebody and you and you see someone who's Asian or you see someone who's Hispanic and you and in your mind you have these snap thoughts. That's not bad. That's normal. That's your mind. Your subconscious mind just telling you something. The problem comes is when you believe them. So if you talk somebody, if you meet somebody, and 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 By the way, it may be bad. You may say, you know, get behind me, Satan. Yes, sometimes you got to rebuke that. But sometimes you're just guessing and go. But now let me have a consultation. Tell me, tell me about your life. Tell me about your story. Where you're from? Blah 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 blah. Get educated. You are missing out on amazing things called people. (laughs) You're missing out. Last one. Give your heart to those who are not like you. Unless you put your heart into this. We're just having a conversation, wasting our time, going to go back and do what we all do and be hypocrites. Give your heart to the well-being of someone who is not like you. Uh, Rod Carew, Panamanian uh, baseball player. Had 3.25, 20, 328 batting average, 18-time all-star. Anybody know who Rod Carew is? Anybody, anybody, anybody not know who Rod Carew is? Okay. He's a baseball player. 18. He's probably 75 now. Um, Hall of Fame, 18-time All-Star, MVP, Rookie of the Year, all that. When he was 71 years old, just a few years ago, he had a heart condition, he needed a heart transplant and a kidney transplant. At the same time, 27-year-old white NFL player, the most superior support sport in the world. <laughs> he had a brain aneurysm, went into a coma, Conrad, ruling. Conrad's mother was praying for him, I come out of the coma, boom, boom, he dies. He signed his organs to be donated. His heart and kidney go into Rod Carew, a black Panamanian. When Conrad was 11, he met Rod Carew. And he came home and said, mom, I'm going to be a pro athlete because I met my hero Rod Carew. And he goes to the NFL. Now his heart and kidney are in Rod Carew's body. Conrad's mother calls up Rod Carew says, I think you have my son's heart and kidney. He says, you want to come hear it? She goes over his house. They're friends to this day. She hears her son's heart in his body. So if we're so different, how does that happen? How does that happen? You know when a doctor puts you on the hospital, operating table, I don't care where you're from in the world, he knows where your heart is. He knows where your stomach is. He knows where your liver is. He knows how they work because we're all the same. My challenge to you is, one, get the, not only get the book. I don't, we don't even have a whole lot. Get it on Amazon, whatever. Um, but do it. Don't just read it. Do it. Spend time talking to people. People are amazing. We talked about blind spots. Go ask some of the people in your life who are different than you. Is there anything I do say that is offensive? I promise you, and I can't speak for every person of color, but I can speak for... All the ones I know, they're not going to stay there and beat you down. They're going to be shocked and blessed. You know, you'll make a new friend. If you could just humble yourself. And by the way, vice versa too. Listen, listen, all you ladies in the house, say, ladies, say amen if you know a guy who's creepy. Say amen. amen. Oh, hey, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, if you have courage, ask the women in your life, am I creepy? <laughs> I mean... Do I <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And if and, and the fellas, if they don't do this, oh no, no, no. If they don't do that, if they go, well. <laughs> Why? Because you've been creepy for so long. It's normal to you. Why is, that, why is that why I'm saying this? We all do things that we, you know, hey, I got a black friend. So what does that mean? That means you have one friend. <laughs> if we can learn to love our, our group, like our in-group, we can truly live the gospel. Other than that, we're playing church. And you know God said? He's going to spit you out of his mouth. I'm sure it makes him stomach sick to, to see us take that word neighbor and replace it with something that's dehumanized. Lord, I just thank you for today. Lord, we have to get this right. This is the most basic thing you called us to do. We all have family members who are prejudiced and ignorant and say stuff all day long. First, we have to get our own heart right. And then we have to begin speaking up. For the gospel's sake. As we go, I pray that we take things that are going to make us better ministers of the gospel. That our light would be brighter in Jesus' name, amen.